This is Cover 2, a podcast on the Cleveland Browns. Hit! Browns are going to win! Mayfield, end zone, Landry, touchdown! With Dan Kadar and Browns beat writer Nate Ulrich of the Akron Beacon Journal and Ohio.com. With Steve Dorshuk from the Canton Repository. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Cover 2 Podcast. This is Dan Kadar from the Beacon Journal, joined by Browns beat writer Nate Ulrich uh, for the podcast this week. We're going to talk about the NFL draft and some of the players the Browns picked, starting with Jedrick Wills, the offensive tackle, of course. We're going to talk a little Richard Higgins, and we're going to get a general team update and if you hear honking in the background, there is a um, procession that's going by my house right now. For some reason, they're all honking their horns. So, <laughs> it's very weird. Hey, Dan, you know what? I got an idea. This happened to, this, I was involved in one of these on uh, Tuesday. Mm-hmm. My grandpa turned 80. You oh. can't have a birthday party nowadays, so you got to have like a little parade with your family, go down the street, honk, come in the front lawn, hold up posters and signs. That's, that's what we did. Hmm. And uh, so you might have a little of that going on now. Well, next time I'm in my car in seven or eight days, whenever I decide to drive again, I will honk in honor of, of Grandpa Ulrich. Um, oh, he would love that. He sure. Would love that. 80, that's a big one. Congrats to him. Yeah, yeah. So my grandma, like I get to say 10 words to him. I got two little kids in the car, so we didn't even get out of our car, my wife and I and my kids, you know, they're in car seats and booster seat or whatever. And so my grandma, like, you know, says 10 words to me or something like that. You know, I yell, happy birthday, and, you know, that kind of thing. And my grandma says, why did Grant Delpit want to hit you? <laughs> like, that's that's literally, like, that's that's what my grandma said. Like, uh-huh. show up to this thing, and that, that was it. And it was, like, amazing how, like, quotes like that can spread. Uh, by the way, he was really funny about it and was joking. Uh and it was nice to see that, uh, and literally I could because we were on the Zoom conference calls, given the situation with all this, these prospects. So he was really fun, and I, I was asking him, hey, you know, what was it like to play that high ankle sprain and that injury, and did that affect your tackling? And if you haven't heard, he said, I'm so tired of getting asked about my tackling. I want to tackle you for asking that question, something like that. So it was fun. Great quote. That was a highlight draft weekend, and it's still following me. Mm. Well, you know, if training camp ever gets here, I say we let Grant Delpit lay one on you for the content. Um, I'll, I'll come out to Berea and get some, some video going if George can't, and we'll, we'll get a nice little uh, story of you getting a concussion. It'll be great. Yeah. Uh, don't ever wish uh, a hit from an NFL player upon anyone. Mm. <laughs> I do not like my chances. Huh. Well, we'll see what happens. Um, but let, let's talk Jedrick Wills. He is, you know, we, we talked about this in the lead-up to the draft. What happens if the Browns take a guy who has played right tackle? And that's what Wills did, not only in college but high school. But he's the guy that's moving to the left side and not Jack Conklin, who the Browns signed in free agency. 
What are your thoughts on on what this is going to take for Wills to to make the move? Yeah, I, I texted you at some point. It's a blur, but at yes. some point during the draft weekend saying you should have trademarked the Conklin conundrum in January when you came up with it because it came to fruition. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's so funny how we were talking about this. What if they sign Jack Conklin and then they sign one of these guys who is primarily a right tackle in college? Lo and behold, they actually end up drafting the, the guy who is exclusively a right tackle and not only college at Alabama, but also in high school. So... Wills has a big challenge ahead of him. The nice thing about it is he fully acknowledges it, and everybody's going to rally around this kid to help him get through it and to help him make the transition, to give him the best shot at doing it. And everybody includes Joe Thomas. So Joe Thomas DM'd him beforehand uh, after he was picked by the Browns, offering to help. Bill Callahan is so well-respected as an offensive line coach and offensive line mind, and he helped Tyron Smith transition from a right tackle in college to a dominant seven time I think it's seven time uh, I, anyway many many pro Bowls Tyron Smith with the with the uh, Cowboys so the, the Browns are confident this guy can do it otherwise he wouldn't have been the top tackle on their board and that's what Paul D. Podesta insisted he was so great feet great athleticism no experience of left tackle but they think he has the tools to do it so Here's my thing with it, Dan. I, I just want to be realistic. It would be hard no matter what, and and other people have done it. The the examples right there with the with the guy that Bill Callahan helped do it in, in Dallas. Mm-hmm. But COVID nineteen adds an extra layer to this, right? I mean, the access the coaches and teams have to these players is is restricted right now. The the uh, it, it's all virtual at this point and. The, the, this rookie class is going to have uh, a lot uh, fewer opportunities to be on the field with the coaches before the start of the season. Um, so uh, we don't even know when the season's going to start. Nobody knows the answers to anything right now. Uh, but we do know that you know they're not having a normal off-season program, and the rookies aren't going to be in there getting that hands-on instruction. So it, you know, I just think it's even a steeper. Uh, hill for for Jedrick Wills to climb than usual. So the Browns are going to really have to to be patient with him and uh, you know under be understanding about this because it, it's not going to be easy. But uh, from talking to him and from learning as much as I can about him, uh, you know I can understand why they took this leap of faith with him. There's so much to like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the first thing that really kind of eased the, any fears I would have had about it was when I think it was Deep Podesta, it was either him or Barry, which which means it was Stefanski. Um, one of the three said after the pick, you know, the first thing that they noticed when he was doing his workouts at the Combine was his footwork and just how advanced his footwork is. And as you know, that's that's the hardest part about making that move to left tackle, but you know, I, I'm probably a a pessimist by nature, so let me ask you this follow-up. If if the Jedrick Wills to left tackle thing is more difficult than than is anticipated, do the Browns have a backup plan, do you think? 
the backup plan would be to uh, see if Jack Conklin can give it a go there. Hmm. I mean, I don't like it. Right. But that's what they were saying uh, after they made the pick. Um, hey, they were like, we're going to be open-minded about who plays right and who plays left. But I asked Stefanski, because they were kind of, you know, they throw those quotes out and kind of leave doors open and things like that. And so, but they kept talking about how confident that how confident they are in the Wills that can do this and make this transition. So I asked Stefanski, is it fair to say that plan A is for Wills to play left tackle as a rookie, you know, to, to get this all down and go in there and be your left tackle? And he said, yeah, that's it. That's, that's plan A. So um, plan B is, hey, we're open-minded, and uh, Conklin did play left tackle in college, even though he's been a right tackle in the NFL. So... You know, then you got to think about, well, I mean, if there's some kind of, uh, you know, contingency plan upon a contingency plan, as Stefanski likes to say, Jason Peters is out there, 38 years old. I mean, does he have enough to be a one-year bridge guy if, 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 this, transition, if this transition is a, a especially difficult? You know, I don't know. Um, I, I think that it's worth just you know keeping that in the back of our minds um and not just him you know but obviously he's he's a a long time nfl player respected veteran who's with andrew barry in philadelphia for a year mm-hmm. you know there are other there's some other tackles on the market though right so i think cordy glenn is still out there is that true I I believe so, but he he's another guy who's been more of a, a right side player as a pro yeah. um so maybe he's not the best uh, name to float. But, yeah, I, I guess what I would say to you, Dan, is they're open-minded about it. They really think it's going to work, but they have to be prepared for anything. And the roster is not set. We all know that. I mean, the, the roster, they may, they've, made, they've made moves in recent years. Hell, they picked up Greg Robinson off the scrap heap and like mid-June one year, he ended up giving them a year uh, and a half of starting left tackle play. Uh, not always great, but sometimes pretty good. And, uh, you know, it was, he was a big part of that 5-3 and three stretch in the last half of 2018 for him. Uh, you know, that might have been his best ball. Uh, so, yeah, we, we will see the roster continue to change even shortly up uh, until the regular season opener. That's just the NFL. Right, and you know Chris Hubbard's still on the roster in a worst case scenario type of situation. Same with Kendall Lamb. So, you know there there are some some interesting options out there. Yeah, and both the again, the, I mean, right tackles. Yeah. Yep. You know, but but having said that, um, you're right, and I should have mentioned those guys. So thanks for doing that. Yeah, yeah. It's look, it's still still april so there's still a lot to be said in terms of roster construction like you mentioned Um, yeah i just think that this was you come out of this draft and all you can do and i know you put the grades out and you're you had some funny tweets about hate mail you got you're getting and i just want to say for the record to be fair every sunday i send you those things (laughs) um but (laughs) uh I, i would like to say that you know the way I look at the draft grades, it's all based on first impression. Of course, no one knows how this is going to work out, but first impression, I think, I think, is pretty strong for Andrew Barry. Um, now, what we'll find out is if this guy can play left tackle. If he can play left tackle, 
I think we're all going to look back and say this was a really good draft. They had this dire need, and, and look, they got the guy they really liked, and he he made the transition successfully. If he can't play left tackle, that's where it falls apart. Right. But that's far away from being a known. Yeah. Instead of um, going over the the other picks the Browns made over draft weekend, what is, what's your general impression of, as the of the class as a whole? Obviously, if, if Wills works as a left tackle, anything beyond that is, is a little bit gravy. But yeah, yeah, you know what what's your general impression of the class on first glance? Because I I came away, and I, maybe I'm going overboard with my. Uh, hope for the Browns based on loving Stefanski so far and really being impressed by what Barry's doing. I thought that as a whole, the Browns did did pretty well for themselves in the draft. Do you, do you agree? Or do you have a different thought? Yeah, I mean, the first impression, again, I think it is strong. I really like Delpit in the second round. I know he didn't have a great 2019, but again, was banged up. The high ankle sprain is such a tough injury to play through. And I think you show, especially at any kind of skill position, offensive or defensive, I think you show a lot of guts by by, by staying out there and, and winning a national championship and uh, helping your team do so while you're while you're enduring such an uh, injury. So I like the fact that they were able not only to pick him, but they were smart about. It. They felt confident and they had the intel and research down. They allowed Barry to move back three spots and still get the guy they wanted and pick up that fifth-round pick that they did not have when mm-hmm. they entered the draft. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a really smart um, you know, move, and I thought that that was a nice start to the to day two for Barry. Um, yeah, I, I'm most excited about, Del, about Delpit. I really am. Um, I really like... Uh, I like the idea that they... they uh, Showed they, I mean they showed that the uh, best player available wasn't just uh, lip service. Um, they filled a bunch of needs, so they did marry needs with best player available, and, and you know needs are always going to be uh, you know important when you're looking at draft strategy, even if the GM or the head coach tells you they're not. It's strictly board and all that. You're always going to want to partner need with with your board, and they did that a lot, but. I, I, what I'm talking about here is they're pretty stacked at, at, on the D-line now. And, and defensive tackle, they didn't need to draft a defensive tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, they had Larry Ogunjobi, Sheldon Richardson, and and um, Andrew Billings, who they picked up in free agency. And, yeah, there's some contract stuff coming up in a year, but it wasn't like an immediate pressing need. And they still took Jacob Phillips there in the third round. Uh, my bad, Jordan Elliott. I'm going to get those two guys mixed up. They did take Jacob Phillips in the third round, too, but he's the linebacker from LSU. The, the defensive tackle from Missouri is Jordan Elliott. I like that because that shows that, yeah, they, they have a bunch of defensive tackles, but they really like this guy, and so they're going to take him. And, uh, you know, they were able to do so with another trade. He only did two trades, and he didn't get crazy with the trading. And, this trade down from 74 to 88 got him a third-round pick in the 2021 draft from New Orleans, so I thought it was another smart moment for him. And there's a lot to like about this Jordan Elliott guy, and I think that now you have four um, defensive tackles in a rotation that you're going to feel pretty good about. Mm-hmm. 
Here's here's one thing that I really liked about the Browns draft. We we've talked before about how they're going to have all of these big contracts coming up soon. You know, the Miles Garretts, Nick Chubbs, the Baker Mayfield, Denzel Wards of the world, or of the Browns, whatever. The, you know, Larry Ogunjobi's going to come up. So what I like about what the Browns did was the, the picks of Elliott and Nick Harris, the fifth-round pick that they ended up getting, that he's the center from Washington who, you know, when you describe him, he is the perfect fit for Kevin Stefanski's offensive line. What I like about the picks of Elliott and Harris are, look, Sheldon Richardson, he's he's still really good, but the Browns have an out in his contract after the uh, 2021 season, or after this season, actually, I believe. Mm-hmm. Same with J.C. Treader, the, the center. And yep. picking these guys, to me, gives them some insurance of, oh gosh, all our contracts are coming in and they're really high. You can save some money then by by getting rid of these veterans, who, again, they're still very good players. But the hard truth of the NFL is, you know... You're, you're better served when you get rid of a guy a year early than, than waiting. So that's like the sneaky thing I like about the draft. I mean, obviously Wills and Delpit are the, the headliners, and if there are guys that you hope are successful for the Browns, it's those two first. But, you know, Elliott and, and Harris, I think, there, there's some savvy roster-building strategy behind those two picks. Yeah, and Harrison Bryant, I mean... Right. Also, you could say that about in the fourth round, the tight end that they didn't think was going to be there, and they really liked him. They're, you know, too good to pass up that opportunity in their minds, and they, they pulled the trigger and gave it to Joku. They said, hey, this is not an indictment on him. They they actually backed that up by exercising, exercising that fifth-year option. So he's under contract along with Miles Garrett. Did the same thing with him. No surprise on Garrett. Um no surprise on Njoku, really, because Andrew Barry laid the foundation for that at the Combine. But they did pick both those up in the recent days, and now they're both going to be under contract through, uh, or the Browns have their, their rights through uh, 2021. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that that was smart because you can now see, you know, if Njoku turns this thing around after a lost year, and if he doesn't, then guess who's waiting in the wings? Harrison Bryant to pair with Austin Hooper, and you don't have to worry about it. You can move on. Uh, If he does turn it around, then you've got him under control. You don't have to sweat it, you know, and you can just ride it out. Um, But Garrett, I think, I mean, it's a different conversation. I just mentioned them together because they both had the fifth-year option picked up. Sure. Because they're both 2017, um, 2017 first-round picks, and I fully expect them to be working on that long-term Miles Garrett extension, um, you know, in the not too distant future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're to assign winners and losers on the Browns roster coming out of the draft, the loser is probably the back of the back of the roster wide receivers. You know, the, the Harrison Bryant pick. If we're being honest with ourselves, he's a a big wide receiver. He's not necessarily a tight end, so, um, and you know, you're he's going to make the team with, without and a doubt. Pick, yeah, Donovan Peoples Jones in the sixth round. It's like right. 
yeah, when you're talking about Kaderil Hodge, Damian Ratley, that's the guy coming in trying to take their spot. Right. So, you know, overall, I, I think the Browns did, did pretty well for themselves. Obviously, with any draft, you can um, find problems. I, you know, when they picked uh, Jacob Phillips, I, I thought it might have been the, the linebacker from Appalachian State, but, you know, that that's, you know... Do you, do you do you want to have peas or carrots with dinner tonight? That that type of thing. So boy, that was terrible. Yeah. The Jacob um, Phillips one's interesting because I thought, well, maybe you know, at first glance, it's like because you know, I I treat Dane Brugler's draft guide like a bible of sorts, and he had him pretty low, and they yeah. put him in the third round. I think they might have had him in the fifth round, but I thought, oh, maybe he's maybe the analytics like him, but PFF was really down on him too. That was like the one pick where you know. The analysts didn't really agree, um, you know, and that always happens. You know, there are all different kinds of evaluations, and you know, media views are different than team views. Um, but yeah, that that's an interesting one. Now he did he did lead the SEC in tackles, and you know, so we'll see. Right. Yeah. So that that's kind of a look at the Browns draft. Nate, do you have anything else draft wise to to tack on here before we move on? I think we mentioned everybody. Yeah. And uh, I'm talking to Nick Harris's high school offensive line coach who had like an eight-year NFL career and talked to his offensive line coach at Washington. So I'm looking forward to getting that out in the next couple days. Um, the guy is like really, really uh, likable, has charisma, and... His coach of Washington says he has some swag, which usually you don't think of for a senator, but this guy's kind of a character, so it's kind of a fun story. Um, I think he's really in a great spot, Dan, because if I had to pick a couple guys for a young guy to come in and learn from on and off the field, it would be J.C. Treader and Joel Batonio. I just think he's going to become really good friends with those guys. And, um, yeah, I think he comes into just a, a tremendous situation to, to learn and grow and and. and you know, maybe, uh, you know, he's going to end up becoming uh, a little bit of a steal because of the situation. You know, a lot, of this, a lot of times it's about situation, right? Are you thrown in the fire too soon? Do you get to really, um, you know, sit back and, and figure it all out before you have to go in there and prove yourself? And, and he's a guy who I think has a, has a pretty nice uh, uh, spot right now uh, to be in. Yeah, indeed, and I mean, it didn't get talked about a lot, but backup center was was a need for the Browns going into the draft, and and he's a really good one. So that's kind of your look at the Browns draft. We're going to skip past the uh, undrafted free agent class. Maybe if we get really desperate, we'll we'll talk about that in the future. But, Nate, the other Browns news is Richard Higgins is back on a – on a one-year yeah. deal, uh, just under, just over nine hundred thousand dollars, which to us is big money. To a football player, it's kind of the the veteran minimum, practically. It is, yeah. So, are you are you surprised Higgins is back? Because quite frankly, you know, I am. I, I thought he was a guy that was going to go elsewhere, but but here he is for at least one more year in Cleveland. Yeah, I guess I am a little bit surprised because typically, I mean, you just don't see it happen very often where, um, you know, a guy's an unrestricted free agent for so long and then comes back to the Browns. You know, normally 
they don't re-sign a guy before the, the market opens. You know, he's usually going somewhere else. But this is a little bit of a unique situation where, you know, I think Higgins really wanted to be here. And you can't say a lot. I mean, you can't say that about a lot of guys over the years. But he went through 1-31. and He was drafted into that. And, <laughs> and he became uh, a fan favorite. And just hit it off with Baker Mayfield on and off the field. Like Njoku had a lost year. Like Njoku got in Freddie Kitchen's doghouse last year. Like Njoku had to deal with an injury, disagreed with the head coach over the timing of his return, and had a prickly relationship ever since. Like Njoku has a mulligan here with this new regime. It's really interesting how those two guys came out of it uh, with new chances. Um, I mean, if you think about it, the ones with the real public disagreements with the coaching staff, the Marius Reynolds only guy who didn't get a shot of redemption uh, and the other two did so I think it makes a lot of sense though for the Browns to bring him back cheap but, um, there's something to be said for chemistry with a quarterback uh, f- for familiarity and then I think you take that something to be said and you amplify it by at least 5 to 10 <laughs> <laughs> whatever number you want to put on it during the, the this unique and unprecedented offseason because they're like we talked about Jedrick Wills they're just not going to get that on-field time to, uh, that on-field practice time together that they normally would so why the hell not bring back a guy who went healthy and when he's been uh, allowed to play has been somewhat of a security blanket for Mayfield I think that makes a lot of sense yeah well said I didn't even really consider that aspect of it but that's a great point I, I'm a little befuddled though I mean Rashard Higgins announced on his Twitter account his very good Twitter account by the way um, he's going to wear 82 uh, Austin Hooper is is taking his uh, number 81 the big money tight end so Rashard Higgins is getting 82 and th- this comes after Kevin Stefanski didn't allow Jedrick Wills to be 73 because that was Joe Thomas's number and it's not retired so now Rashard Higgins is getting Ozzie Newsom's number. What's up with that? Yeah, you're my second friend who's asked me that today. Uh, Scott Petrak, uh, who covers the Browns, said, you know, that's kind of interesting that he gets the Ozzie number um, when um, they just shut down the uh, Jedrick Wills thing. So, yeah, I get it. I mean, there's just, I don't know, I mean, if I want to get into some kind of devil's advocate situation with you guys, I'd say Joe Thomas did not help uh, Art Modell win a Super Bowl with Baltimore. So there's that. You know, some fans can get behind that probably. Um, I don't know how you feel about it. Um, I think Ozzy is uh, uh, a true legend. And, you know, if you're going to retire numbers, um, you know, that one should be for the Browns. But it isn't. You know, so I don't know. I mean, Joe Thomas is fresh in everyone's mind, and this kid's coming in to play left tackle. That's a lot of pressure to try to live up to Joe Thomas. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess those would be the counterpoints. <laughs> I yeah. don't know if that does anything for you. Well, no, it, it does to an extent. Um, I don't know. I, I think it might just be a, a generational thing. You know, I think people in their 20s probably don't care a lick uh, about a Browns player wearing number 82. 
Well, I don't even know. Right. And I, yeah. I, I understand the, you know, Ozzy kind of spurned the Browns a lot over the years after he went to Baltimore. I mean, I'm sure they tried to hire him countless times in one of their GM searches. Um, and, and he stayed true to, to Baltimore, which is respectable, except for the fact that they're the, the rival of the Browns. Um, and, uh, you know, they won a Super Bowl after leaving Cleveland. So, um, I, I don't know, just to me, 82 is a number that, that should be retired by the Browns. I, I, think, I mean, I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised it didn't happen last season. I know they, they had Clay Matthews. You know, set to go retiring fifty-seven, so maybe they they don't want to do more than one a year or whatever. But um, now that Ozzy's kind of basically retired, I don't know. I, I think they should should retire but, eighty-two. Okay, so but Browns players have been wearing eighty-two, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not like Higgins is the first one to come along and wear eighty-two. That's true. Yeah, you're right. I don't, I'm trying to think of who was eighty-two recently. Uh, probably not. Nobody of note. Um, yeah, I think I'm sure there's websites that have. What was Ben Watson when he was here? I don't know. So anyway, yeah. somebody will tweet at us. There's yeah, been a bunch of 82s, I think. So mm, Browns all-time roster. Surely this will have it. I'm not a uniform guy. I mean, I get the jersey yeah. number thing with Joe Thomas and all that. Um. I just, I don't know. I mean, I understand. I, I guess I can see why one number would jump out to Kevin Stefanski right. as opposed to another. But Yeah. So are you saying you don't want to get into any hot takes about the new Browns uniforms that came out? Oh, about? they're fine. They're yeah. fine. I mean, yeah, they're fine. And, you know, I know a lot of people want orange pants, and they're saving that, you know, as basically what J.W. Johnson is, is telling people that they're going to, work hard on getting the orange pants out there I'm I'm fine with the Browns looking the way you know the Browns uh, have looked and should look um, and I hope the numbers are easier to read from the press <laughs> box that's that's <laughs> that's really how I how I come out on it yeah yeah keeping track of who has a left elbow pad on or who has a towel on their their right side or you know that kind of stuff, or whose shoes—that that type of thing's a pain in the butt. But um, yeah, I, I don't have anything to say about jerseys either. They're fine. I don't like brown pants, but whatever. Um, Nate, last thing this week, and we'll get out of here. What what is the next step for the Browns as a team? Are they in a are they in a holding pattern? Is there do they have a schedule of what they can do? Because yeah. you know, usually now is is rookie mini camp, right? Um, but yeah, of course not now this year they're in the virtual off-season program and they are allowed to do it for four hours a day four times a week classroom instruction um is that all players or just veterans that's veterans and then they're allowed, then they get to have a rookie mini camp coming up here um in in may and then um the way they did it because they have a first year head coach they normally get that extra veteran minicamp, they're still going to get a virtual one. So basically the way they set it up was everybody can have three weeks of this virtual program, and then the teams with the new head coaches, the Browns are one of five of those, they get like the veteran minicamp, which is like three extra virtual days. 
So, and then that all, then that will all kind of wrap up second week of May, and then May 15th, everybody gets to, like, reassess everything, and if club facilities are still closed, and and they're going to keep the club facilities closed until all of them can open for competitive, uh, you know, balance reasons, um, if they're still closed, then they can, every team can choose to continue a virtual program. So, I mean, I think all signs point to that they're going to run through this the first wave of the virtual program, those those three weeks for most teams and the four weeks for the teams with the with the extra better mini camp, those with um, new head coaches. And then they'll they'll have more virtual off-season program because I just don't see everybody being back throughout the country by May 15th. Um, there's a chance it's May 18th. It's one of the – I don't know why. I'm just – second guessing my dates here now but it's it's like it's that that time mid-may um when they get to uh choose to move forward with that and i think that i mean the browns uh start on april 20th i got that date right and i think that that's like the norm in the nfl except for the saints i think didn't sean payton just say we're not going to do this Mm. so everybody else as far as I know, is doing it. Hmm. That's huh. Well, that's a good update because I, I wasn't totally sure. And you know, May fifteenth, May eighteenth. What are days anymore, anyway? I mean, I uh, that's a problem. Yeah, I literally started every work day over the last three weeks by googling what is today's date. Um, <laughs> today it's, it's April thirtieth, as we record this, by the way. Um, so yeah, Nate. Anything else this week before we get out of here? I think that's it, Dan. Uh, the schedule should come out next week. I'll be on furlough, so yeah. we'll be talking about it. Uh, but that's something for everybody to look forward to. We already know the opponents, and then we're going to get the supposed dates again. How accurate are these schedules going to be? Who the hell knows? Right. Yeah. So. Like Nate said, he's out next week. I believe I am out the week after that. So uh, we'll hopefully try and do a podcast uh, the, the following week. And maybe there will be some stuff to talk about by then over a you know a three-week period or whatever. Um, some schedule stuff. Maybe Nate will have a uh, undrafted free agent hot take. But that, that's going to do it for now for Cover 2. Coming Friday in the Beacon Journal, our colleague George Thomas is, is writing about Grant Delpit, and I'm, I'm told that's a pretty good story. So check out for that at beaconjournal.com slash browns. Like Nate said, he's going to be writing about Nick Harris. I'm sure that'll be great because um, he sounds like an interesting guy. And you can find a whole lot more over there, too. Steve Dorschuk has a bunch of stuff up there. That's a, some of it's a pretty fun read. Marla Ridenauer, of course, is, is chipping in still, too. So again, that's beaconjournal.com slash browns. Make sure you're following Nate on Twitter. He's at by Nate Ulrichs. That's going to do it for our podcast this week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we will talk to you sometime in the future.